0: standing and open your bibles to 2nd Samuel chapter 11 2nd Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 through 13 and God's word says this In the spring of the year the time when kings go out to battle David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing. And how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his own house. And we're going to keep going and finish the chapter of the story. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises and if he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went, came to David, told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and bore him a son. Now hear this last sentence. But the thing
1: that David had done displeased the Lord. Please be seated.
0: And let's pray one more time and ask for the Holy Spirit's help as we look at his word today. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of your scriptures being opened. Help us through your Holy Spirit to learn what we need to learn, to be encouraged, where we need to be encouraged, to be challenged, convicted, uh, if that, and, and where that is the case. Thank you for all of these things, and we thank you that we're not just looking at this with our eyes and thinking about it with our minds, but we thank you for your Holy Spirit's help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if I was a visitor this morning, I would say, the women of Christmas... Christmas isn't for another 11 months. Why are they they talking about Christmas so early? Uh, This is a seven-part series that even got interrupted by one week. So this was supposed to be preached last week. Uh, There are seven women prominently mentioned in the Gospels uh, about Jesus and surrounding his birth. Three are pretty obvious, or two are very obvious, Mary and Elizabeth. And you could throw Anna in there, where they took Jesus. We've done those. But there are four women mentioned in the genealogies of Jesus Christ in Matthew. And they are interesting choices, to say the least. And so, way back right after Thanksgiving, it was Tamar, it was Rahab, it was Ruth. And if we had done Bathsheba then... It would have been bumping Mary past Christmas Day. And so, for timing wise, we said, we'll go back and pick up this woman who's actually not even named by name in the genealogy, but she's named, as she's referred to here at the very end of this chapter, she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So we are talking about David and Bathsheba. We've read the chapter, we've listened to it. I want to say a couple of things. One is, as I've led men's group in various churches through the years, this is kind of a popular passage, believe it or not. And it's because every man's battle, and people say, well, David sinned, but David was a man after God's own heart. At least some of them even reverse the order. I say, I think you're reversing that. David, the man's after heart, God's own heart, that man even was capable of doing these things. And it can provide some consolation and some comfort that God forgives sins, even terrible sins like this, but it's also a warning that a man who can be chosen by God, a man who can write
1: all these Psalms, can in a moment turn to stealing, adultery, and murder. And
0: let that be a cautionary tale uh, as well as a don't, don't go straight to the comfort without the caution, is what I'm saying. Um, there are some things about this passage that are interesting. A couple of literary features that were pointed out by one of my old seminary professors, Dr. Uh, Ralph Davis, in his commentary. He's talking as he walks through Second Samuel, and you can see uh, the pace and the pitch of the story. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, it's a lot of fast, big events about a war that was going on. All of a sudden, he comes to this one, the writer of 2 Samuel, as God inspired these words and slows it down for us. And so the slowed down pace of the story here. He also said if you were looking at this just as a literary uh, uh, look at it, you would notice the restraint of the writer when it comes to the non-Davidic characters. We don't know what Bathsheba was actually thinking. We don't know everything about Uriah. He doesn't get a a whole lot of speeches. He gets one. It's It's a good substantial one. We don't know what Joab thought when he got the orders from David. Did he say, this is wrong, but I have to go around it anyway. I have to obey the king. Did he wrestle with it? Bathsheba gets three words in your English translation, two words in Hebrew. All Bathsheba says is, I'm pregnant. But we see a lot of David in here and a lot of David's motives. The chapter is filled with irony. Bathsheba carefully followed the ceremonial law with her cleansing bath. She was out there not to be an exhibitionist. She wasn't out there to try to catch the king's eye and step up a little bit in society. She was following the dictates of Leviticus 15, and it was a ceremonial. She was following the law strictly. And you contrast with the way she was following God's law, ceremonial law, and the way David just blew through God's moral law. There's a contrast there. There's a contrast about Uriah being disobedient to the king's order. King's, king's trying to get Uriah to go sleep with his wife, and that baby then can, can be Uriah's, and maybe he'd put an anonymous donation into the college fund or something later or whatever he would do. But he's trying to get him there, and Uriah is disobeying the king. But he's disobeying the king because of his faithfulness to God and his love. And there's a contrast there. Another ironic thing is David talking all about peace. The word shalom pops up where he says, how is the war going? How is Joab doing? How's, you know, basically uh, the, the, the language would be, how is the peace of the war? And there's a contrast there. And all the while, David is talking about good things and talking about shalom and acting to be the friend. He's plotting to kill a man and to cover his own sin. Final irony as you look at David through scriptures, he's always been opposed to the unnecessary bloodshed of his men. He was the kind of guy you would like to follow into battle. Uh, he cared about his people, uh, loss of life of his people. And here he is,
1: people dying because of his orders. It's murder, it's nothing short of murder.
0: And so this is a sermon about the wife of Uriah the Hittite, about Bathsheba, Uh, because she was the woman mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. We do need to look at a couple of things about David, and we are going to weave the relationship with Bathsheba into that as we look at the final woman of Christmas in our series. We need to consider Bathsheba. So first of all, in verses 1 through 5, the fallen servant. David's been portrayed, said this before, he's been portrayed with great kindness to people. Uh, Even the two chapters leading into this one, 2 Samuel 9, or chapter 9, verse 1, David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 2 Samuel 10, 1 and 2, uh, After this the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Naash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So even in the immediate events leading up, David is kind. David
1: is looking for peace. David is looking to give honor. And think about how quickly we fall. And I'll say we, we're human. How quickly we fall.
0: Um, I, I guess I should say how quickly we can fall. she would say, no, I know my life and I know my heart and I can look back at my life and just leave it at how quickly we fall. We fall.
1: Here, David,
0: who was so concerned about people and being kind to people, sees Bathsheba and she's not even a person to him. She's an object and he's prioritizing his own desires. He doesn't see himself in relationship
1: to her. He sees her in relationship to him and what he can do. James 1, 14 through 16 uh, reminds
0: us, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Some of us grew up and we cut our teeth on the King James Version, and it was lust and sin and death. And there's so many youth camps. And some of you guys can either smile at me or tell me afterwards, you heard this. This is is standard boilerplate fare, and it's good at youth camps. And they talked about us in the 70s when I was a kid, a long time ago, They talked about LSD, LSD, lust, sin, death. And uh, so I was a youth pastor, and we had all the parents coming together, and and, uh, I was going to go through James with them. And I said, next week's lesson is about LSD, because I was just mimicking what I'd heard. And I had a mom call me, I think you shouldn't be talking to our kids about drugs. That should be the parents. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. But James talks about you lust. You see it. It leads to sin. And it can lead to spiritual death if unchecked.
1: And that's what happened with David. He saw her. He lusted after her. He was the king. He took her. And he ended up killing her husband.
0: My grandpa Hutch used to tell us, he'd get the grandsons together when he's hanging out with us, and he was a part time pastor. And, and I thought he was so wise when he, he would tell us this. We were boys getting older, and he said, Guys, the birds of thought will fly through your head. Don't let them land. The birds of thought fly through your head. You live in this world, don't let them land. Shoe them away. I thought, ooh, Grandpa. I got older and I got into Bible college. And I thought Grandpa was pretty smart and how he came up with that illustration. And then I read it in Matthew Henry. And I still said Grandpa's pretty sharp. He read that in Matthew Henry, but he was loving enough Grandpa to try to talk to his kids and his grandsons particularly and help us. Birds of thought flew through David's head. He's walking out on his roof. Now you'll hear a lot of times and boy, I don't want to knock these guys because I've preached it this way too. They always start with "When the time when the kings go out to war. And, and usually they'll say to men's groups, see, when you should be doing spiritual battle and you're lazy home at your house, watching, you know, flipping through your channels, you're, you're doing this. And, and then when the kings go out to war, you go out to war. Well, the Hebrew actually doesn't even have the word war in it. Um. It's a continuation of the chapter before there was a war going on, and when it was time for that war to resume, is how it's said. So um, yes, uh you do what you're supposed to do spiritually, but um it's not it's not so much the idle mind is the devil's workshop being portrayed here, even though that is the truth. It's and David didn't necessarily have to be out there, he had a good man to prosecute the war and they needed a king back home. The problem was David when he looked didn't check himself. David apparently in his spiritual life had not been um, out there writing psalms. You notice when you're in the word, when you're spending time worshiping, that's a protection for you when those opportunities come to do wrong but you're so in tune with God, telling God you love him for instance, um, that, that, you don't, that you don't fall. But David apparently was not right with God. Here comes this vision, here comes this thought, and David said, I'm going to act on it. Question here. Here's a good question for us. How much culpability can be placed on Bathsheba? How much culpability, how much is her fault? Like if she hadn't been there, David wouldn't have seen her, and then David wouldn't have done this. Some people from church history, some, a, a famous one or two, that I'm not even going to tell you his name. Boy, he, he rails on her. I'm going to tell you this. She in her life was like every one of us in here, she was a sinner. In this case, zero culpability. She was doing what Scripture told her to do. She was taking that ceremonial cleansing bath that Scripture said. How did she know? Dumb king who can afford the highest apartment in the, in the city would have an angle on her and had the eyesight and fixated and focused on her. She, in this case, was not wrong. The Bible makes it clear. It, I, I believe it tells us Two reasons why this was a ceremonial bath. One is to say this really was David's kid, scientifically. The second was to say her heart in this case was right. Also, when Nathan the prophet shows up to David and says, Thou art the man. He didn't say get Bathsheba in here too because both of them. Uh, You see in scripture there are times when husbands and wives and men and women are like a team. They're Bonnie and Clyde. They are a team for evil. and uh, You see it with Ahab and Jezebel. And they are both named as culpable people. You see it in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira. That was tag team. Uh, if Bathsheba was the one who was wicked at fault here, even shared that, the scriptures wouldn't have treated her like it treats her. David's the one. Sends the people to her house. Over here, the king says, Come, she comes. Does she know what's going to happen? I bet she does. Can she resist? Oh, well, maybe, maybe us from our perspective could say, Well, you go down kicking and screaming, you go
1: put yourself in her position at that time. She was not wrong, she was doing what the
0: scriptures commanded, and she was swept up in this course of events
1: that brought her much grief she was a victim you could say she was a victim of her government
0: do you remember when the people were demanding a king give us a king give us a king give us a king and Samuel has got his feelings hurt because he's tried to judge the people and, and, and God says to Samuel hey Samuel listen it's not you they're rejecting it's me And Samuel says, I'll go ahead and bring a king to you. But understand, here's what a king will do. A king will conscript your children. A king will take your stuff. A king will do this. A king will do that. Are you sure you want a king? Yeah, give us a king like everybody else. Samuel could have said, and even the king, we're going to have a a kind of a dud for a king. We're going to have Saul, but then we're going to get the man after God's own heart. Hey, that's the king that will not only do these things, He'll take your wife and he'll take your life. And there is a good reminder to us here. Do not put your trust in princes. You go to the booth and you pull a lever. Um, you, you do your best as a Christian to pull the lever the best way God wants. You do your research. You pray about it. But if you think that person whose lever or ex you're putting by is going to be God, uh, no. No. And She was a victim of her king, the king who was the man after God's own heart even. She was minding her own business. And again, I want to say this again, not saying Bathsheba never sinned. She was a sinner in need of a savior like the rest of us.
1: But in this case, don't say, well, it's her fault that David did this. That's a sin. To be thinking like that. The fallen servant was David,
0: and you think about, oh, how the mighty have fallen. So you see, first, the fallen servant, and you see how the effect on Bathsheba. Second, the unvarnished truth, verses 6 through 25. Look at David's frustration. He took what he wanted. He probably felt bad about it afterwards. He he probably did. Oh, man, why did I do this? Oh, boy. Well... That was a one-off. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again, God. sorry, God. Uh, you can see him saying that. And then he gets the message. Two words in Hebrew, three in English translation. I am pregnant. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. What am I going to do? How can I cover this? And he's so smart. He's so smart. Boy, he's a smart man. He knows how to cover it up. He'll just get Uriah back home Pretty quickly, Uriah is going to want to see his wife after being away. She's going to want to see him, and it'll all work out. But it doesn't go according to plan, because what happens in the plan is Uriah is a good man who says, how can I live in the lap of luxury while my fellow soldiers are out here dying and fighting and sleeping in the ground? And David's frustrated. So he goes, all right. Got another day with him. I'll get him drunk, and then he won't be so moral and pure. <laughs> Brings him back over, flies him with drink to get him drunk, so he can go home and sleep with his wife, or think he slept with his wife, or whatever, uh, whatever he would do. But but he could pin it on, and people could see him going in. They could say, "Yeah, that's Uriah's kid. Got David's eyes, but he looks he's, he's Uriah's kid." And they can. He can cover it up. And David's frustration again. That Uriah, he won't even do it when he's drunk. Now what am I going to do? Well, it's a good thing I'm so smart, and I hate to have to do this. But for the kingdom, for my position, uh, to keep me uh, ruling, I have to have Uriah killed. And we can't outright murder him, but it's a good thing old, mean Joab is out there, and he follows his orders, and he's a tough guy. So think of this. He writes the instructions for Joab to put Uriah on the front lines and then withdraw so Uriah will die. He writes them in his scroll, seals it up, and says, Hey, Uriah, uh, been good to see you, old buddy. When you go see Joab, just give him these orders. Think of the wickedness of that, the death warrant in the man's hand to deliver that. That's everything that's been done so far is bad enough. That You can't say that makes it worse because it, it, it's so bad you can hardly say anything's worse. But just think of insult to injury. Think of, 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 the, of what he did. So he's frustrated, but now he's got success. He's got the death warrant there and the main thing that has to happen Uriah has to die. Uriah has to die and he's got to pretty quickly grab his wife and that way the kid's legitimate and no one knows
1: what's gone on. He's going to cover it up. Over and over at the last part of this
0: chapter Uriah's death is brought up by God as he inspired this writing. Death in verse 15. Set Uriah in the forefront. Uh, uh, the hardest fighting that he may be struck down and die. Verse 17. And The men of the city came out and fought Joab, and Uriah the Hittite died. Verse 21. Uh, who killed Abimelech, the son of blah, 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 etc., etc., etc.? It goes on to the end. It says, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Verse 24. Verse uh, 24. The archer shot at your servants from the wall. Uriah the Hittite is dead. Then again in verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead. It's a passage about death. Uriah had to die, and David finally said to himself, because he's not talking, because he doesn't want the reporters to get a hold of it. He's got to keep this a secret between him and Joab. Uh, uh, He says, success. I hate it. But heavy is the head that wears the crown. I had to do it for the greater good. Uh, Just a reminder again, it is never right to do wrong, to do right. A
1: lot of the right you think you're doing when you're doing wrong, is it really that right when it comes right down to it? And there you see him. And there's the unvarnished truth about the writer of so many of our psalms.
0: Uh, here's, Here's Dr. Davis. Here's an extended quote. The unvarnished truth is that life for God's people can be like that even in the supposed kingdom of God. The kingdom is not safe even in David's hands. It is only safe when Jesus Christ rules and will rule with justice and righteousness. Yet until Jesus publicly enforces that just regime at his second coming, It will not be unusual for God's people to suffer, even within what claims to be the kingdom of God. Davis says, I'm not going to enter into a church, uh, a debate here about the church and the kingdom. He says, but clearly Christians today find much of their kingdom life within their church. And it is beyond sadness when the leadership in such churches rules with harshness and severity, crushing rather than comforting Christ's flock suffocating rather than sustaining and he's saying uh, it's a sad thing the closest you're going to get to heaven is when you're part of a church and you're worshiping the church but even wicked people can get into churches and even wicked leadership can can damage people and David the man after God's own heart the one that was anointed it was chosen all those brothers, and you' gotten one more yeah there 's david
1: he's the one bathsheba wasn 't safe there. What about her? her husband's killed she 's pregnant. Did she have guilt feelings? perhaps did she have sad feelings, of course. Uh, the the
0: question is, was there was it just following the law of the time of mourning as it was laid down, uh, but the word there that says she lamented is a deeper word than just got to wear the veil for two weeks or whatever it was. Uh, there was a, a lamentation and there was a hardness and a hurtness. Her husband had been a good, honorable man. Was she insecure at this point? Yes, yeah, she was. She knows that the king just looked at her and treated her like an object, and the, and the king killed to get people out of the way. Uh, that's a very, oh, you get to go live in the palace now. You get to be the queen. You get to be Queen Bathsheba, along with Queen Abigail, along with the other ones and all that. Uh, there's
1: some insecurity. Think about what that woman was going through as she carried that baby into that palace. And then we see the bottom line. Verses 26 and 27.
0: She hears her husband's dead. She laments over it. Maybe asking herself what she could have done differently. A little kid kicks in the womb and she says,
1: little one, what is your future? Did she vow at least, okay, did she talk to that baby? It's just you and me. But I vow to protect you. Something like that. Maybe that's what she said. We don't know. But we know She's in there. You guys are appropriately frowning, which is
0: good, because this is a terrible thing that happened. It's not just a story that
1: happened way back when, and that's good. It's a terrible thing. Bottom line is this. Bottom line is
0: this. Look at that last sentence, and this is, this is good, and this is for comfort. But the thing that David had done... Displeased the Lord. God was not unaware of what had happened. David pulled the wool over the eyes of so many people, but not God. God sees, God judges. Numbers 32, verse 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Now I ask myself this, and you guys can ask, well, if God sees, why did God even allow it to happen? That's a good question. And you know what the answer is? It's a mystery. We don't know. At our level, we, can't, we don't know why God does what God does. We just know God is good and God sees and God, God did. Why didn't he intervene? We don't know. Here's Davis again. Our story does not resolve this mystery. It only insists on a clarity. Yahweh may be silent, but he is not sightless. The thing David had done was evil in Yahweh's eyes. David may have had Bathsheba's flesh and Uriah's blood, but he will have to face Yahweh's eyes.
1: And that's something to think about and remember. Quote it too much, probably, but
0: what well, it's not in our sermon, it's on my notes, but I just can't stop thinking of that song that Johnny Cash sang. Sooner or later, God will cut you down." You can run on for a long time, but what's done in the darkness will be seen in the light. And sooner or later, God will cut you down. Don't hide it from God. Take it to God and and, then do what needs. But that's confession. And what a beautiful thing that God did because God loved David. Right now, we're mad at David. We don't love David at all. David did these things. God loved David. How do we know God loved David? Read the first verse of chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. God sends his prophet. God's going to deal with him. David's not going to go to Nathan and say, hey, I got a confession to make. But God's loving and sending Nathan to David. Back in the youth group days, you know, I've had a few meetings with a teenager and Christian parents. And the parents and the kids are sitting there and the teenagers Uh, glum, they've gotten caught (laughs) and uh, there's going to be consequences and they got the youth pastor in there and whatever the teen did and and I always in those moments would say listen, God must love you very much because he let you get caught and he gave you these parents who love you to help deal with you Uh, God who he loves he chastens and God loved him enough Sad news, the baby died. That was part of it. You read about that in David saying it's not the baby's fault. The baby's born, the baby gets sick, the baby dies. That's a consequence. And a practical life lesson, Bathsheba lost that little baby. For David's sin. And boy, you don't
1: sin in a vacuum and you don't do things that don't have ripple effects on people. was going through her mind. She's hurting. The good news, and
0: we look at Scripture, and and we see David, and we believe that it wouldn't be in Scripture if it wasn't true. The baby dies. David gets up, washes his face, and he says, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. And that's a good, good comforting passage for so many Christian parents who've lost their babies, and they say, that little baby's up there in heaven, and I will see that baby. And so there's a good thing. There's something for us to start to smile about. Got got something to smile about the last four or five minutes here. Um, Where are these people now? Uh, Final thoughts on this. I just want you to see later on. Bathsheba appears again in 1 Kings 1. We're not talking about that part today, but you see her. God used her as a key player in making sure Solomon got the kingdom because her son Solomon became the king. There were all these palace intrigues. There are all these things when David got old and Nathan who came and said thou art the man uh, got with Bathsheba and, and you can read all about it yourselves in 1 Kings 1 but God used her. It wasn't over. She was part of God's plan. She wasn't just a, a, a story for us to tell in this circumstance. She was a real person and God used her. You see her again um, uh, with, with, with another story with her son Solomon uh, in the next chapter. But what I think is wonderful, think of the beauty of Matthew's genealogy, how God included Bathsheba. God saw David, but God saw Bathsheba. And all those centuries later, when he's talking about the birth of Jesus and Bathsheba being in that line, and God mentions her. didn't mention a a lot of the, the moms, mentioned four of them. She was the one of the four. God mentioned her. And how did God mention her? say, what well, was demeaning. He didn't even say her name. No, he talked about her at a time before all these bad things happened to her. And in the genealogy, it's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And in so doing, he gives honor to Uriah, who was not in the line of Christ. But he honors Uriah. He honors Bathsheba. God sees, and I want you to remember, yes, God sees the things we keep hidden that we don't want him to see but even the ways that he's used you to do good things, the ways he's used you as part of his kingdom. Uh, And you might have even forgotten them. Sometimes you get old and somebody goes, well, I remember when I was such and such and you came over and did this. And you're like, I don't even remember that, but I'm I'm glad I did that. Um, God remembers those things and God gave honor to her. Where are they now?
1: Well, David's in heaven. Where's the baby? In heaven. Where's Bathsheba? Got to
0: say in heaven if you're, if you're thinking. The, yeah, why, certainly. Yeah. Uriah? There. What are they doing there? They're doing the same thing that you will be doing there. Praising God. Worshiping Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this sinful episode... All of the sin was involved, was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Paid in full. There was a payment. There was an earthly consequence of losing that son, of the shame and everything that they felt. But there was payment to make him right with God when Jesus died on the cross for David's sin
1: of taking the wife and taking the life. And what does this say? I had it written. What does it say about your sinful episodes? But I
0: better just say it this way. What does it say about our, our sinful episodes? It means there is payment. There is release. There is the stuff we're ashamed of, the stuff we would do again. Confess that. Go to, the, go to Jesus and confess. Repent of it. Say the same thing about your sin that God says. It's, it's ugly, it's evil, it keeps me from God and it helps me to hurt people. It, it keeps me from all... Say the same thing about it, but, but don't just stop with your repentance. Put your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to take away the sin of the world, that Lamb of God. And we'll just close with the verse I read in our prayer of confession. If we confess our sins, and you know that, you know it, You'll say, you're saying it in your mind along with me, some of you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all
1: from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this woman,
0: Bathsheba. Uh, those of us who are Christians will be worshiping you with her in heaven. Even as we pray to, her, to, to you right now, you, you're you receiving her praise. She's there. And we thank you for her. We Pray that we will learn what you uh, want us to learn and remember what you want us to remember
1: uh, as you included her in your story. In Jesus' name, amen.